What's up, guys? Welcome to the All Time Podcast. This is episode five. Huh? We are halfway through the first season. Huh? And um, we hope you guys have been liking what we're doing so far. Huh? Uh, at the end of this episode, you will have half of the list. Huh? And um, if there's still things that you thought would have been there, thought we would have mentioned, and we didn't yet, we're getting to them. Maybe not, but comment on Instagram at All Time Pod. Give us your opinion. Yeah, we like seeing you guys in the votes and in the 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 the, the, the comments. Yeah, the slide in the DMs. Slide in the DMs if you need to. Slip and slide. Um, we ready to start? You want to start we, right away? Do we have anything to discuss about uh, anything that's happening in uh, hip hop? Uh, not this week necessarily um but i've been really excited for this episode the the south how have you like doing this so far uh i like it i really really hate listening to my voice i fucking detest listening to my voice sound like a 12 year old kid you get used to it yeah but uh i'm enjoying this i'm i'm liking the feedback from a lot of people uh people that care especially what about you uh it's it's fun yeah hmm. you think we would do season two i really hope we could do season two i i mean we hit well i think we probably will we have a few ideas in mind and we're gonna maybe start telling people soon what we have in mind for season two yeah towards the end of the season we'll uh we'll we'll confirm amongst ourselves and let other people in on um the plans for season two hopefully our lives don't take over our plans but it probably will happen well we'll find ways yeah let's figure it out okay let's jump in we're doing uh, southern music southern hip-hop this week albums that came from influenced not influenced they all came from the south but influenced it this generation they influenced uh yeah these type of albums came back a lot of them in uh recent years um, the South w- wasn't really big in the 90s. They really started to get more popular and more liked and more paid attention to, I would say, early 2000s, mid-2000s. Well, in the 90s, there was... Um, like, the 10 albums we're going to talk about are definitely... Um, you're right about what you say about the, the 2000s, but... Even in the '90s, like these albums were pretty um, well liked. But I found people own. jumped into the albums later on after the releases because it's either you're listening to New York hip hop, uh, West Coast hip hop, and the South was really forgotten about. What I find interesting about these albums in particular is that they were all really well liked and well received when they came out because you were more into hip-hop by now. Like, the West took the heat for beat. For like the, the West basically took all the bad reputation, and by now we're starting to see it as an actual, um, uh, a, a, a well-liked type of music. So you're starting to get the critics that are giving you praise, and like, as we spoke about during the debut albums, uh, the artists in the mid-'90s were better received than the very first so this being like a um a a a time a a time where it was very focused on the mid to late 90s the big 
the Southern albums, there was they were well respected and well liked groups. The South really changed uh, music for hip hop, uh, using different instruments, uh, different production. Uh, the artists sounded so different as well when rapping, especially because of their accent. Well, the first group, I think that's a good segue to jump into the first um, album because this first group didn't actually sound too different. We spoke about Public Enemy in our last episode. Yeah. And we haven't yet touched on them, but NWA. Yeah. This to me is a right in the middle of the two. Exactly. They're not too street and they're not too political. They also brought different elements to their sound and uh, their subject matter. First album on the list. Ghetto Boys. We Can't Be Stopped. That's the one. Uh, top five album covers of all time. Yeah, there's a bit of history to the um, album cover. Uh, they're actually in a hospital with uh, Bushwick Bill, who shot himself in the eye after getting into an argument with his wife or girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, and lost his eye. Big thing to mention, uh, Bushwick Bill uh, was actually this week diagnosed with uh, stage four pancreatic cancer. Yeah, something like that. That's messed up. And they announced a goodbye tour today. Oh, really? There's like four or five dates that they're doing. Like, Obviously nothing in Montreal. No, no, never. Uh, he had a pretty messed up life. And you could, s you could hear it when he's rapping and what he raps about. Uh, but just getting back to the album cover, who the fuck would take a picture of somebody losing their eye in a hospital and then put this as your album cover? It was edgy. Um, of course, on this, the highlighted uh, member of this group would be Scarface. Amazing MC, such talent. Uh, what do you think of when you hear who? Who? Who do you think of when you hear Scarface? Who do I think of? Yeah, Ice Cube. Mm -hmm. Chuck D. Chuck D. Another hybrid, right between the two. Like I said about the group. Yeah. I said in the first episode a bit of Biggie here too. Yeah. Well, Biggie. Coming later, definitely inspired by, possibly. A, a lot of MCs uh, like Jay-Z, Nas, uh, Ghostface were really inspired by Scarface. Scarface set like that tone and that barrier of what an MC should sound like, mm. uh, lyrically, for sure. And he got better with time. Scarface? Yeah. He did. Um... I think, uh, I mean, that being said, let's not waste any time. Let's move right. Yeah, let's it. move right on. If, if Because we're on Scarface, the second album on the list this week is... The Diary. By Scarface, yeah. Um, so dark. This was probably the the um, peak of uh, His career. Scarface. I mean, a lot of people say The Fix. Yeah, but that was later down the line. Yeah, that was much later, yeah. A great album, The Fix. Yeah. Uh, if you do like Scarface, or if you don't, and you want to try to try the diary first, I definitely uh, think this is um, a staple on Southern hip-hop, and not just on Southern hip-hop, but on hip-hop in general. This guy's like not um, credited enough for what he Very gave underrated. to it. Yeah. 
songs on this album, man, are so dark. The production is dark. The lyrics are dark. Uh, he's talking a lot about things he's seen growing up where he's from, uh, murder, uh, a lot of death. So it's like he's basically talking to a psychiatrist when he's rapping on this album. Yeah. And he's just pouring out all his emotions. There's a lot of addressing false um, ideas people had of him. Big time. Being a rapper, uh, he kind of addresses not being entirely what people thought he was or think thought he was. Yeah. Uh, the White Sheet. Uh, I Seen a Man Die. Pretty intense lyrics. Yeah. And as you get to the second half of the album, it's, it, it, it picks up more on the upbeat. Yeah. Where you get uh, one, well, one's more of a it's it, it's still pretty uh, tough, but it's not like um, dark yeah. necessarily. Uh, going down is probably the pop song of the record. Uh, Hand of the Dead Body featuring Ice Cube. Yeah, that was a really good song. Devin and you know the how dude. we say, uh, yeah, Devin the Dude's on that one as well. When you hear that song featuring Ice Cube. That's where you kind of, because when you listen to him, Scarface on his own, you'll pick up on the on the comparison of Ice Cube. When you hear them featuring, it's crazy how it plays a trick. It, like it's it's almost like it plays a trick on you in that when they're on the same track, they sound nothing alike. Yeah, it was. It's I find that really cool. If you picked up on Scarface sounding like Ice Cube, and then you hear this track, it'll it gets you to think twice. When you when you listen to a, an album, you really want to feel what the artist is feeling. You want to understand what they're saying. You want to get to know the artist, and this is the perfect album for that. You want to know yeah. who Scarface yeah, is, where is he a... comes from, uh, why he's rapping. He basically gives you his whole story. Yeah. Uh, uh, again, in a dark way, and his voice really blends in with the beats, mm. with the production, uh, who produced a lot on another artist we're going to talk about uh in the next couple of albums uh but man it, it really blends in super well very violent um very vulgar as well and we jumped over ghetto boys to bring it back to where scarface stood out in the group the most Scarface was the storyteller. Scarface was the the person that let you know about him and his experiences. Where Bushwick Bill played on more of the the gimmick. Uh, there's a song on the Ghetto Boys album where he yeah. plays as Chucky. Yeah. Uh, and his parts on the album are really more on the horror side. He tells you more horror stories. Yeah, there's more of a gimmick with him. And also. There's a song where he gets a phone call by a lady that asks him if he wanted to be part of the army mm. and shuts her down completely and makes a song about how he would never want to be part of the army and he would never want to run in the army for the president that was at that certain time, which I have no idea who it was. But if you look at uh, a quick, I'd like an easy way for people that don't know Ghetto Boys or don't know Bush Bushwick Bill, easy, flavor Flav, Old Dirty Bastard. Bushwick Bill. Yeah, exactly. You get the idea. Yeah, he was also funny in the group. He was more of the the funnier one, mm. uh, and it just really went well together because they played on each other. Like you, 
when the album, I'm guessing they made the album, you could tell that they really played on each other where they brought the best out of each other and it, there wasn't too much of Scarface. There wasn't too much of Bushwick Bill. There wasn't too much of... Willie D? Yeah. So they really played on each other. Yes, they have some of the songs on the album where it's just them, but it, it, it makes their characters come to life because Bushwick Bill was more of a character. They kind of have that NWA feel to them where they're violent, uh, political. Uh, you know who's rapping on the song, but they had their extra flavor to it that made them different from all of these artists. You know that back when Ghetto Boys was a thing, well, when Ghetto Boys started, Scarface and Bushwick Bill were the two that we seem to recognize now, but they weren't known as the main, let's say, member of the of the group. Like, the front guy was Willie D. One of the things that uh, does get, like, give maybe Ghetto Boys a bad rap is the topics that they talked about were like like you said violent misogyny uh, it was very gory like you said like there was that horror aspect to it and maybe that's why this album had a hard time aging I don't think it would connect with as many people today at all but that being said Scarface being once again, the guy in the group that puts himself forward and gives you his real self. The diary is very much a showing of his maturity as an artist. The peak of his maturity. Most definitely. He got away from what they were doing with Pretty much. Ghetto Boys. So, um, again, album number one, Ghetto Boys, We Can't Be Stopped. Album number two, The Diary by Scarface. Check them both out. If the Ghetto Boys doesn't do it for you, Scarface the Diary is a uh, fantastic record. So, Most definitely. We're going to move on to album three. So Food, Goody Mob, worked with Outcast, produced by Organized Noise. Yep. Features, uh, well, features, uh, main, main success story from the group was CeeLo Green, who you might know from... As a solo artist. Branching out into pop. Miles Barkley with Danger Mouse. Yep. Uh, Soul Food by Goody Mob. Man, this album is phenomenal. It's a fantastic record. Um, very slept on, very yeah, underrated. No, yeah. I agree with that. Uh, I mean, partially because of their affiliation with Outkast and because Outkast is Outkast, this unfortunately kind of gets buried. They are produced by Organized Noise, who produced most of Outkast's yep. discography. Yep. Uh, they worked at the same studio that Outkast worked at. They were basically all together all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, they're featured on the album as well, right away on the yeah, second so song. Andre's on it right away. And on track number four, Big Boy Features, which is a track that... Um, really brought forth... It brought forth the group, but it brought forth a saying that everyone throws around about the South, not knowing where it comes from. The Dirty South. The Dirty South. These guys also... The, the track's called Dirty South. Yeah. These guys also started using... First time you ever... First time it was ever used. <laughs> Probably first time ever used, but... No, it was the first time. It, it was really? Ever used. 
this is where that term originates. They, they, they started using another word that gets thrown out. They started using trap, saying that they were from the trap, and it starts in this album. I can't remember which song it's from. It might be on Sesame Street uh, or Goodie Bag, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. But they started, it, it started getting known trap was where you were from. But we'll get back. We'll get to what trap means later on. Yeah, you're really excited to get. To I that. can't wait. But uh, these guys really started using dirty south trap. Uh, that sound that they were using was just so different from what Outkast was using and being produced by the same people. And these beats are just incredible. They flow so well. The I want to say something before you elaborate on that. If you go back to what we said about Ghetto Boys and Scarface, the sounds were a mixture of Public Enemy and NWA. NWA. Again, this album doesn't sound, doesn't have that South sound that everyone associates to the South. It still has a bit of that West sounding, you know, and it had, but it does have that outcast element of like the live instruments, of course, because of organized noise, but it doesn't sound like a southern album no i kind of agree with you on that but southern rap had a lot of different elements in it but these guys really kind of stuck to one specific direction and what they chose for their beats yeah there was there's no jump out of your seat banger type of song in this no really not no like Probably maybe one or two tracks on the song. It's mostly all very smoothy, very soulful. Yeah. Man, there's soul on this album. Yeah. This is a, a, a really good... If you're not too familiar with Southern stuff, we're only giving you 10 albums, but this is another place you should definitely uh, stick your nose in. Yes. Even if you start off from this I, with this album, I wouldn't be mad at all. Look at songs like... Well, wait. First, let's. Uh, we, there's one thing to point out for the for people that listen to newer hip hop. You got to point out cell therapy. Yes. Because it was recently reused by Travis, another southern rapper, Travis Scott. Travis Scott, southern rapper, southern artist. He does a bit of the. Uh, He's from Houston. Yeah, yeah, but. Um, Paying homage, I I think he really paid homage on yeah. that song that he he sampled cell therapy. Five percent tint. Um, Astroworld But getting back to the sound It's so soulful Yeah uh, CeeLo Green's singing Vocals blends in so well uh, Songs like Screen Door Fuck till this day still Are incredible The subject matter too They're, they're, they're basically just telling you Where they're from and the struggles they had to go through Throughout the whole album uh, the violence they had to see grow up. Yeah. Uh, they talk about slavery too in their songs. Yeah, that's a theory. That's a that's a theme that comes up. Uh, Pretty much. Yeah. Throughout the album, uh, this is a most definite listen to, uh, and a great great uh, introduction to the southern. Uh, this is one of those few albums that you uh, actually putting on to me because I had been a fan of Niles Barkley and 
even the beginning of CeeLo's career, maybe that break, that commercial breakout he has had wasn't too terrible. And I was paying attention to that. You were pushing this on me. And uh, I wasn't open to it. I wasn't super receptive to it right away. It's an album that takes a while to get into. Oh, for sure. So uh, if you don't like it at the first listen, um, definitely try again. But I think listening to this album today, it uh, is more relevant. And not because of the use on the Travis albums or... But like we say, the South Sound has come back. Although we're kind of saying like this doesn't sound exactly too South, like the the soul sound of it is kind of relevant again now. And the subject matter too really sticks out. Subject matter sticks out. Um, but they kind of have like a... Uh, they're not negative either when no, they're rapping. No, they're not. Like there's, there, there's no negativity. No. Well, I mean, the the, 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 the the topics aren't positive, but they're not... No. They're not being... Brought forth in a negative way. No. They're being addressed. They're not being... I don't know what you're saying. You don't know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. But what I think might be hard for people to get into is that there's no big songs. There's no big beats. There's no, again, no. bangers. And sometimes I think that the South... Is is looked at for those type of tracks. Yeah, but now that again, I, not a highlight off the album, but now that people have heard this Travis Scott album and uh, have something to connect to with this, get what I'm saying? Well, I I, I hope because I don't think that's the reason you should go back and listen to it. But if that's what makes you listen to it, fine. I feel like a lot of people that listen to things now that go back to old albums need to need to have a reason to. Like when we were talking about Dipset, I said how it was a trend to like Dipset. Like it was a, it, 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 somebody did something with it that brought it back. And that's what that track is to this album. Yeah. I just hope people understand where that, that sound came from yeah. and can go back and really appreciate it. And it's like people like Travis Scott that, bring it to the listener's ear and hopefully they be like, okay, where's that sound from? Mm. I'm not hearing this for the first time. I might have heard it somewhere else. Let me go back. Let me let me dig in and, and do my research. I think we pretty much covered whatever uh, there is to be said about uh, Goody Mob and Soul Food. If you're looking for something a little more obscure from our list, try it out. It's... Um, definitely worth hearing and it's not super celebrated so check that out um next on our list next on our list comes a year later <sighs> riding dirty 1996 ugk riding dirty man this album do a lot for hip-hop and is not praised the way it should be like at all well it's ugk's it's arguably UGK's best album. They didn't necessarily have a bad album. Like they were pretty consistent in their in their stuff in their throughout the catalog. This is the um, peak. This is the 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 the. I would say peak because from '96 to 2001, after writing Dirty Day, did not release any music. 
they did certain things here and there, but they released yeah, an album in 96. Yeah, Dirty Money, right? Yeah, and that was in 2001, like, uh, I, like I was saying. What's also really cool about this album is that if you go back to uh, Too Hard to Swallow and Super Tight, they were albums that sounded very much of the time, the cheap keyboards, the cheap drum machines. This album gave you the UGK sound and probably the sound of the South we, we love, we know. And was produced with some help, but Pimp C produced. As usual. As usual, the album. He found his sound. He found something that he wanted to do different. His main, uh, his main go-to guys to inspire himself from were uh, DJ Quick from the West and Dr. Dre West as well. So in UG- Again, that West sound in Southern that we're hearing. UGK is Bun B and Pimp C. So you got Bun B as an MC, Pimp C as an MC, and Pimp C producing the full album. Why was this album not in our duos episode then? Because it's a big stamp for Southern. It's a big stamp in Southern. This kind of also changed that sound in Southern. It made it go a different direction. Because don't forget, you had artists like Goody Mob that we spoke about. You had that outcast sound. You had that 8-Ball and MJG sound. You had that 3-6 Mafia sound. And then you got these guys that really used instruments differently when producing. The keys. Uh, the, there's fucking trombones. There's uh, an important thing to point out here because we're in the middle of the 90s. We're at the peak of hip-hop, let's say. No, no, not the peak of hip-hop. Hip-hop is... But 96 is a big much. year. 96 is a huge year. But this album outperformed a lot of albums without a lead single. No music video. So you're talking about a time where this is these are things that you need to survive in this. And it's crazy how 20 years later, this sound came back and is being used. Uh, such a big influence, especially in artists like ASAP Rocky, who built his sound off of UGK sound, off of the South sound. Well, also on the early Drake stuff, on the uh, first mixtape, you get a feature by Bumby. Yep. Um, and the Thank Me Later and Take Care sounds, this, that kind of uh, slow... Um, more of the soulful side of the South gets represented on those albums. And on Take Care, you get the track Underground Kings, which is a straight homage to this group and what they contributed. So, UGK, right next to Outkast, have to be one of the most influential groups from the South. And just Pimp C's production, what he used, the horns, the, the soul samples really put a stamp for what the UGK sound was supposed to be like. Uh, Bun B being lyrical and Pimp C having that gimmick, that aroma to him, that standing out because of his voice and because of his accent, really, because he, he sounded so differently than Bun B. Yeah. These guys, man, they did something with this album. What's interesting was how you just said, we're going to use this as a segue into the next album on the list. 
you just said that the UGK sound, this al- that album really um, put their sound in place because as we said, the first two albums were a little more raw. The next group we're talking about, we spoke about before, we spoke about twice before already. And we did mention that the last album that we had on our duos episode was a stepping stone into this, what would become their sound as well. So it is Outcast we're about to talk about again. Now with the third album, Aquemini. Oh boy. 1998. I don't think we're going to pick this at the end of the episode when I ask you what your favorite album of the 10 is and what and then you ask me what my favorite album of the 10 is I think we can it's it's impossible that we're allowed to pick this well because it is the best album of the 10 by far so let's 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 give another album a, a highlight and a mention at the end cuz this was really like it was above and beyond once again oh boy I want to I want to do this segment of outcast without saying they were ahead of their time we made that very clear Oh boy. But um look, third album comes two years after the last. Um these guys, and not to cut you off with that, but this is the third time that they've made the all time podcast episode. Yeah, they did. So if we're talking so far all time, they are the best all time so far. <laughs> Um, Andre 3000 The album starts where he kind of addresses His being different To the rest of hip hop Um, It's addressed in a way that He kind of uh, Points out that people Would look at Big Boy and say Why are you with this guy? What are you doing with? Yeah he's being looked at differently and he's addressing who he is. Yeah. And like you said, UGK sound came back in the guise of today. But this Andre look is modeled time and time again as you enter the 2010s. This guy is like now seen in a different light. That, Ra- that Mount Rushmore, that Andre 3000 face looks pretty up there. Yeah. Um, pretty much praised upon release, this third album. Did this get five mics in a source? Um, I don't know. Should we find out? I think it did get five mics in the source, but anyways, it doesn't really matter because I can give it a thousand mics. I'd give it. I'd give it a a solid five mics. Once again, without cast, lots of live instrumentation, something that uh, we know. Is very common in the organized uh, noise uh, production. Organized noise likes to use a lot of instruments. But this album in particular is full of horns. Uh, Specifically, the classic Spotty Audidopolicious, which... Played at my wedding. Yeah. (laughs) And might be getting a throwback Thursday post today. Um... You're really going to post that video? Classic, though. But let's jump into these songs. Well, 
it, it the album's really broken up into if you look at it. Yeah. Um, the first eight tracks, the next eight tracks, uh, Hold On, Be Strong being the intro, all the way to West Savannah. Probably the most, the more accessible part of the album. You get more of the, you get Rosa Parks, which was a... A, a, a huge... Was it not the lead single off this album? Aquemanite as well. Skew It on the Barbie. Let's talk about Skew It on the Barbie real quick. Okay. I have a feeling it's not going to be real quick. Uh, <laughs> you got two MCs from the South that go get an MC from New York. Yeah. <laughs> Which MC do they go get? Raekwon. And put this song together that has to be probably one of the most well-versed song, well-put-together song at the time. Because yeah. of it being 1998, yeah. and Southern artists really weren't working with artists from New York. And yeah, and that's a good thing to point out because when you look at hip hop being so well known for all oh, the East versus West or, or that type of dirt, you kind of notice that on this verse, Raekwon calls out the source for not giving Southern Playlistic five stars. I I think this is one of the first times you hear. Um, an expressed support for something somebody else is doing elsewhere. And especially with the South. And especially that they're MCs that are so above everyone else. And speaking of MC. Yeah. Andre 3000 on this album does not sound the same on every song. No. The way you're holding the mic right now, you look like you're about to start singing an Angel song. <laughs> no, but I'm holding it like I'm an MC. But that was not MC. That was heavy metal singer. <laughs> Andre 3000 does not sound similar on any of these songs. He has changed up his flow. He sounds similar. Well, part of the changing of the flow is just how he is. It sounds that's his way. I don't find these sounds different. I'm telling you now, Rosa Parks and The Art of Storytelling Part 2, he does not sound the same on. I disagree. I really I really think he has his own sound going and it's all, it sounds very much all the same. But not all the same being bad. He just brings them sing to a different level on this album. He does. Where? And you know what, man? We talk about Andre, but Big Boy. Big Boy is... Slept on. Slept on. Next level. Uh, this album really put him in a different light as well, especially with the Rosa Parks single. Yep. Being more poppy, but, you know, more playful. Uh, There's a... Um, so we highlighted Raekwon as a guest on this album. Um, there is a guest that was on the single of one of these songs but wasn't on the album version of the song. Did you ever hear the actual song with him on it? Oh, yeah, of course. Okay. The Art of Storytelling Part 1 featured Slick Rick. If you, anybody can ever find me this single or this... I'll take a copy too. I'll, I'll pay money for this, to own this. They should definitely re-release this on record store there's some shit that they do with the re-releasing of 6,000 things at the same time 
I don't know why they cut him from the album version. I never read why. It's um, it's too bad because the single version was great, and would have made a great addition to the album. But I mean, it works well nonetheless. Speaking of the storytelling, the storytelling on this album is so incredible. When they storytell, though, there's a lot which of which is more towards the, the the second part of the album. Yeah, the second half is more. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, on Spoiliopolicious, it's just talking. It's just it is just a story. Yeah, over horns and over. What a track, though, man. The the production was brought to another level, as well. On this, it's crazy how Outcast themselves produced along with organized noise on this album. Yeah. What I like so much about it is that the sampling on it, like again, we're talking about the instrumentation, there's not much sampling on this album. Um, it really gives Outcast their. We touched on the instrumentations on the previous album, but. I feel like it really helps them stand out not touching the sampling. Because when you are sampling, you're borrowing and you're trying to... Um, recreate something. Recreate or, or, or re, uh, reuse something that, I mean, has been used. I just kind of like that they do... And on this album, they get really good at um, original material. Oh, most definitely. And I'm going to stick to what I said before about Andre 3000 sounding different on each song, but also each song sounds different. You know, when you listen to an album, you're like, okay, you know, these songs blend in together. But it's a bit repetitive. This album has none of that. No repetitiveness. Uh, each song being different, uh, different sound too. Yeah. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work well. You know when you try and do too much on an album? They definitely tried to do too much on an album, but it fucking sounded perfect. Yeah, they just put a cohesive body of work uh, without sticking necessarily to one sound. There are similarities, though, throughout the album, certain songs that sound more like the others, but it is true what you're saying that there are a lot of sounds that that, that come up. Rosa Parks being very uh, roots and country sounding. Slump as well. Yeah. Synthesizer. Synthesizer. Spotty Audi Dopalicious. They're all more uh, uh, funk oriented songs. Chunky Fire at the end is like. It's hip hop, but it has this rock element to it that I. I, uh, Hey, George Clinton is on Synthesizer. That's amazing. CeeLo, Liberation. Goody Mob, CeeLo. It's, it's, what I like about it is that it didn't take... Um, the, the, there's not an, an overwhelming amount of guests that drown this album out in what it is. It really is outcast, arguably at their best. Very lengthy album. That does not sound lengthy. It doesn't. I think we're we're done nut hugging this album. The thing is that these albums, this album, uh, in our episode two, the low end theory, um, 
in episode one, Biggie ready to die. I don't know what else I could say. The album's just great. It's just fantastic. There's only so much you could say about something being good and like I mean it's it it's praised for a reason. Uh, like you're absolutely right. When somebody asks me what should I go listen to, I'm gonna fucking say Outcast Aquemini. Why? Because it's fucking fantastic. Perfect ten? Perfect ten. And on a perfect ten we take a break. Yep. We're, we're back, back from break. We have uh We're back. We have five albums left to talk about. Um Juvenile. I'm jumping right in because I'm excited as fuck. Okay. <laughs> Juvenile, 400 Degrees. Another album that was uh, brought back on Take Care by Drake, by the way. Oh, really? Mm. But makes sense. Cash Money. Young Money. Cash Money. Juvenile, <laughs> 400 Degrees. Steve, remember the first time I told you to listen to this? Mm. What'd you do first? Besides getting into the album and actually hearing it, what'd you do? The first time you told me to listen to this, yeah. I took it off. <laughs> but did you look Did you look at the cover? Oh, yeah. The, the, uh, the great Cash Money album covers. Paint was highly used <laughs> to make album covers mm. for Cash Money. Should do them on. Should bring that back. I think when I record my first mixtape, I'm using paint. Um, but the first time I said, Steve, I need you to listen to this album. Yeah. I really enjoyed this. I gave it to you. You took it right off and you told me. How do you listen to that? Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> and but that's fine. Because it's such a particular. This album. Is. The. This album is probably the most moody of the 100. And there are albums that are moody on this that we're going to get into way later. But this album, if you're not if you're not up for it, it's not a it's not an easy listen. It took you a while to get into it, and I'm going to be honest, it took me a while for me to enjoy it the way I do now. This has a lot of replay value for me. I'll play Juvenile 400 Degrees, I would say, a good every two months, at least once. Mm. If I'm not in the mood to listen to something, for some reason, it, it brings me right back to this. Probably because of the production. Uh, all Manny Fresh. All Manny Fresh. All, all, all Manny Fresh. New Orleans sound. He went to go sample things I have no idea what he's sampling but some of the songs sound Spanish uh, but it has a lot of replay value because it's a fun album to listen to it is a lot of fun it's a it's a big part of this album <laughs> but it but it, but it took me a while to get into it probably because of his flow and how he doesn't rap on beat this part of the south we're doing things differently. We're putting out music differently. Kind of like the way artists are putting out mixtapes now. Left when and you right. say this part of the South, though, you should highlight we spoke Atlanta, we spoke Houston. We're speaking New Orleans. Right. These guys were doing it differently on this side of the South. Mm. And not rapping on beat. Uh, his first single, Ha, asking questions. Mm. Uh, answering it himself. 
uh, he was really doing something different that took you a while to get into. It was very grimy and very dirty. Mm-hmm. This is a very summer album as well. I'm not going to listen to this in the winter. But this is a very like summer barbecue type of album. And he was just really different. Look at this album cover. Yeah. Look at the sound that this album put out. If you were to say four times platinum, would you believe it? Not a chance. Hmm. Four times platinum. You know... And, uh, and, and that's after a year of release. You know... Impressive numbers, man. Very impressive numbers. But did you know that... Like, do, not did you know. Do you know that half of the time you can't understand what he's saying? Mm-hmm. He has that grimy, mumbly type of voice. But it, man, it fits so well with those beats. Manny Fresh, by the way, we brought him up on the first episode during the last album that we were talking about. Most Def Black on both sides. Uh, Most Def now Yasin Bey. They got an album in the works. The album is supposed to be called As Promised. He's definitely not promising shit because I don't see any of this. But bringing you back to Juvenile, mm. he paints that picture and he drags you in with his grimy tone of voice and kind of happy go beats. Yeah. I have a very, uh, a very, maybe not a. The way I see this whole cash money movement is very much different than that. It was the sound of the South. I think it was just the sound of these guys that were working together. Manny Fresh, Birdman, having the Hot Boys, Juvenile Go Solo, Wayne Go Solo. I don't think they were necessarily the sound of the South. That was the cash money sound. That's what they were doing. And it just so happened that they had a bit of money. They, they, they turned it into more money. And then we see it as the sound of Louisiana. They're talking about where they come from and how poor it was. The subject matter. I'm saying the instrumentals that we hear that, these guys, that Manny Fresh does and stuff. That's not Louisiana to me. That's Manny Fresh. Oh, for sure. And it's interesting how that's now the sound of Louisiana. It's the sound of... But, but but it's really just the sound of Cash Money. Yeah, and they had that sound and the outlet, like we spoke about with the album covers. But they did it so well. And there's some of the artists in there that started bringing up talking about jewelry. Huh. At the same time. I want to ask talk- you about the album covers after. And, and, and talking about the same time the poverty they came from, the city that was damaged, uh, how poor they were. Mm. But we're talking about jewels, yeah, and yeah, jewelry, yeah. and coming in from helicopters right. and Hummer trucks. Okay. And not dressing as nicely as they should be dressing when making all that money. Now, when I ask you the album covers. Yes. Uh, Juvenile, 400 Degrees. Uh, BG. Soldier Rags. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, 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 the BG album covers, the early Wayne, Wayne album covers up until the first Carter, yeah. uh, hot boys, uh, the big timers album covers. 
when they would create these albums, uh, do you, did they look at them and say, oh, this is nice? I think they... I think they thought that they were nice, but they were trying to paint you a picture of, this is where we come from. Take a look at our album cover. Let's listen to what the fuck I'm doing. You think? Yeah. I, I honestly think. So somebody looked at it again and said, well, this is cool. <laughs> but Steve, they're making, you're making an album. I like it. I love it because I, it's now the style of this and like we're never going to forget these. I have it on many t-shirts. Yeah. But when you put an album, you want your cover to attract people, right? So they had to have thought this was nice. They probably wanted to make it look like it was, I don't know. But they did think this was nice. If you guys have no idea what we're talking about, Go see the album covers. Go see the album covers. Juvenile you know what? We're gonna, po- we're gonna post them maybe for them in our story. We're gonna probably put. Po- Let's post all of them. <laughs> all of the. We make a cash money mural. Yeah. They're nice album covers. I like them. Uh, Juvenile Four Hundred Degrees. Um, hard listen at it's first. A hard listen at first. It grows on you. It's. Uh, Crazy replay value for me. It's good. It's a good album. Um, Manny Fresh did all the music. We said that already. That's a good segue because on the next album, we're jumping forward uh, by a lot now because now we're leaving the 90s, 98 Juvenile. This is the last time we talk 90s in this episode. Um, we're going to Atlanta. First single off this album and then what? <laughs> Produced by Manny Fresh. <laughs> Uh, Young Jeezy Let's Get It Doug Motivation 101 101. Now I don't know if I was going to do this at the end In the middle At the beginning I'm I'm, going to Okay you go for it Okay The Trap Sound I have no idea how I'm going to segue into this But Young Jeezy And T.I were the first two artists to say, I make trap music. Quote, unquote, my sound is trap music. Now, when you're making trap music, you're talking about the trap, which is being trapped into a lifestyle that you can't get out of. Am I right? I'm from the trap means I'm from the ghetto i'm from the hood and i'm trapped in it so they took a negative and started rapping about it and making you understand that they had no choice to live this way so i'm from the trap i'm trapping which means i am whatever selling drugs dope crack whatever dope crack is drugs by the way yeah but I'm selling drugs. I'm trapping, meaning I'm doing this because I'm trapped into this lifestyle. There's the trap houses means that's where they made their drugs. That's where they took care of all their drug business and all that stuff. So when we say I'm making trap music, 
It's the sound that Young Jeezy and T.I. said that they were making. Now, today, this present time, there is people saying, when we talk to people, we say, what are you listening to? I'm listening to trap music. No, you're not listening to trap music. Because these guys weren't doing what these guys were doing. Okay, hold on, before you jump in, because I know you want to jump in. The trap sound that was created had nothing to do with a certain beat. It was basically explaining to you what they had to go through. When you say, I'm listening to trap music, you cannot say that you're listening to half these people that never sold drugs in their life. Am I right or am I wrong? You're right. Okay. When people say, I'm listening to trap music and are listening to certain DJs making a sound that has absolutely nothing to do with what these guys created, that's not trap music. There's certain DJs that press buttons and make a sound and no disrespect to them and call that trap music, not a chance. If you're making trap music, you're coming from this specific place. And it just doesn't make sense to me because it was turned into something that it's not. And we worked in music, we worked at a music store. And I remember seeing a double disc, maybe it was a triple disc, all trap music or all trap. And it was just a bunch of DJs making beats that had absolutely nothing to do with the trap that Young Jeezy and T.I. and certain artists were making. So when people say I'm listening to trap music, you're not listening to trap music unless you're talking about Young Jeezy, unless you're talking about these Southern artists like Gucci Mane that called their sound trap. Well, a lot of people do listen to Gucci Mane and, and vent on that. To me, that Gucci Mane fandom is another one like the Dipset one that's just... Uh, not, um, I like Gucci Mane. A lot of people say they like Gucci Mane. Oh, it's the character. Yeah, yeah, but but it's like in this day and age, you're talking about all these kids that listen to trap music that say things like trap music over things that aren't what trap originally was. It's it's just a bunch of say it, you like everything that's supposed that you're supposed to like. It just doesn't make sense because they're not ruining a sound or not ruining a certain word, but it was created in a certain way and it just needs to get the respect that it deserves and to be told what it actually is and not just DJs pressing buttons and it not being meant for that. But that's just my, my opinion and it's been said by other people as well. Let's jump into Young Jeezy. Um, Jay Z has always been somebody. He's 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 one of the only guests on this. Um, he has always had a lot of good to say about Jeezy. Oh yes. Um, that says a lot about Jeezy as a as an artist. Um, I would go as far as saying he's. I wouldn't call him underrated. 
he's particular as a rapper. Certain things that I pick up on Jeezy are he does a lot of rhyming the same word with the same word. <laughs> I think he's the only guy that could do that. And and it works. Like it's it works. It's 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 a signature. It's a young Jeezy signature. Along with his ad libs. The punchline. Along with the ad libs, but the punchline will often end with the same word that came from the line right before it. And it's it's a it's a a good way to include something different that other rappers will get criticized for being weak MCs. He he does that well. This album was made as a homage to Atlanta, as a homage to the streets, as a homage to gangsters from where he's from. It really highlighted that in all his songs. Mm-hmm. But made them anthems across a lot the board. Of anthems. And what I find really cool about this record is that it's a 77 minute record and it doesn't drag for what it does. Like you would think like this type of album would get annoying or longer. There's nothing bad about this record. I find that the problem that a lot of people associated with Young Jeezy with this album, with the album that followed, was that it was dumbed down. I think he made more club bangers. Yeah, it was yeah, it's it was club music and it was like like you said, trap music. But to call it dumbed down is completely missing the point yeah. of what this is. He made this album for the streets as he made the other one into a different direction and more for the clubs because this is a time in hip hop where hip hop was being way more played in the clubs and you were going to the clubs to hear hip hop anthems, hip hop club bangers, like what young Jeezy made, like what TI made. Those were highlights. This to give you an idea, we weren't we weren't even going out to clubs or to anything when this album came out. No. And when we were, you were still hearing Soul Survivor. And that's what this album really did was make a stamp for times like this. Songs like Go Crazy. Go Crazy is nuts. Last of a Dying Breed. Not club, but an insane song. What's that song? My Hood. Were you ever in a club when they played My Hood? Never, no. I was. I want to flip tables when that song came out. I was never that when that, but I've, I mean, I've heard Soul Survivor in the club. I've heard, and then what in the club? Every single one of these songs is an anthem. I'm happy with what we said, and I think it well. De- it deserves to be on the top 100. It deserves its praises and just, the changing of the guards. Just pointing out something that I did say though was that at the time it was looked at as dumbed down. This album got more praise. As it grew. 10 years later now. Approaching 20 years later. It got more. Praise than when it came out. Solid album. Yeah. Uh, do your fa- do yourself a favor and check, uh, check it out. Next. Um, another album. Came out around the same time. So. Um, what year was it? It was in 05 as well. Same year. Big year. 
it was a couple of months later. So we got Jeezy in, um, I believe it was July. July. So it was a summer album. And in the winter, it got cold. <laughs> and really weird for it to come out in the winter. Um, if you liked Jeezy, you liked this artist almost automatically. Um, this was, I think, a transition in Cash Money's sound because the production was upped thanks to this artist and thanks to the hype surrounding this album about to come out. The Carter 2, Lil Wayne. 2. Man. <laughs> when this album came out, I could give a fuck, man. Everyone, everyone was on Lil Wayne. I couldn't understand the appeal. Everyone who was interested in this, to me, had terrible taste in music. <laughs> and um, Probably still do. Probably still do. You're doing Nine Inch Nails again. When you put that down, <laughs> it's going to pop. <laughs> when, um, when I finally gave this album a listen... It was the first time, like when I gave it a real listen, not the time that I put it on and I couldn't give a fuck. But when I finally gave this a real listen, there's not a track on this 77 minute album, <laughs> however many 35 songs, I mean 22 songs that doesn't work. It's fucking crazy, huh? We were we were talking about this the other day where I was sending you pictures of me listening to this album and each song I was listening to and they were talking about each song and the only thing we were saying is fuck this is good. Um Hustler Music <laughs> Probably my favorite Wayne song ever. Um Shooter with Robin Thick. Oh surprisingly a banger. <laughs> But man, those R&B hooks fit so well with him. I mean, the whole album is just bars. Steve, the first time you put this on for me, we're in my car on the way down Action Bronson showing you. You said, I'm putting on the Carter too. I said, go for it. Mr. Wonderful or with Danny Brown? Mr. Wonderful. And the mob started playing. Mm. And I asked you, Steve, is this Lil Wayne? It was like Man, the, this the first time that you were like, and you felt like a piece of shit. Felt very ashamed because I skipped over this album and went straight to Little Man and I skipped over this album and went straight to Little Wayne and Birdman without <laughs> even paying attention because the album cover was nicer. <laughs> But I <laughs> skipped through the Carter 2 and said, fuck it, and went directly for Little Wayne and Birdman. And when you put this which on... Which is also a great album. Which is... Oh, it's not on the list. But it's a but fucking it's a great fantastic album. And we album. did consider it. We did consider it. Yeah. But the album starts off with the mob and the heat makers who produce for Dipset as well. But... For five minutes and 20 seconds, 
Lil Wayne just spitting the hottest bars I've heard in a long time. And how I did not hear this for 15 years, I felt like jumping out of the car head first. I'm ashamed. Well, I mean, you don't need to be ashamed. Tastes change as you grow. And, and, and you know what it is, though, is like we said, when this album came out, everyone that had terrible taste in music was praising Lil Wayne, was just... What I think is really funny is that these people probably weren't going through the full album. We're probably just picking and choosing the songs that they like. Fireman. Yeah, fire, but great track. Yeah. Regardless. But Played in the clubs too. But it was the, it was the type of people that wouldn't go through full albums. Yeah, they weren't they weren't respecting an artist for their 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 body of work. Right. They were they were respecting artists right. for singles, and that was happening. Well, it's still happening. But what I think that's where I kind of made the judgment that like this is not there's no substance here. This is all just filler and a couple of songs that people will put on in their cars. Man. Bars. Bars. Um, the South isn't really looked at for lyrical content. It sucks. To me, it is, but I'm just saying. It's not looked at for that. It's not looked at for bars and for emceeing. This man on this album changed that. It flows in. Each song flows in one after another after yeah, another. Yeah. You got some R&B tracks in the middle. And they stand out super well. Uh, Three of them are skits of like thirty seconds each. So let's call it an, let's call it nineteen tracks. I'm a D boy with Birdman. Such a great song. Honestly, I mean, we could go through the track listing and say this song's good, that song's good. The point of putting this on the list was to say we were proven wrong, big time. So, um, lots of respect for Wayne now. As an as a, as a an adult and someone who listens to the body of work, this is incredible. You told me the other day that now you understand why people thought it was like the second coming of Christ. I said that. Yeah, you told me that yesterday. I don't remember why. Because we were listening to the album. Oh yeah, you know it's just it's. Um, I can't wait to talk about him more. What I like so what I also like about it is so much is that. In Wayne's later career, he took chances that didn't really work for him. It didn't affect his legacy. Like this, like Wayne is still, every time Wayne's going to put something out, man, people made noise when the Carter 5 came out last year. Five, what's he at? Six, five? What is it? Five. Five. The Carter album that came out in 2018. Yeah, five. People, Carter 5. People were all over it. Because it's still Wayne. He's taken, he's made choices that did not help his career but somehow it's still he's still untouchable in this world of rappers and it's because of albums like this and because he went outside the box and tried different things and as well as his voice kind of like Andre 3000 out, yeah. it's kind of like Andre 3000 he just stood out differently and changed his voice tempo mm. made his voice raspier and this guy did his homework. This man did his homework. He really studied the greats and knows what he's doing. And that's why he's at this level. 
Yeah. We have two more albums. We have two more albums to talk about. So far, we've presented you this episode in chronological order. So we started with Ghetto Boys, We Can't Be Stopped in 91, Scarface the Diary in 94. Um, the album after that, Goody Mob 95, UGK Riding Dirty 96, Outcast Equemini 98, best album on this list. Juvenile 400 Degrees, also in 98, end of 98. Jeezy, let's get it. 05, Carter 2, 05. Now we're going to switch it up a bit because we went chronological in those. We're going to go back three years now. And the reason we uh, broke this artist up from the rest is because in making the list, we felt like geographically this wasn't South. By definition, where they come from is south. Um, and the sound characteristics, and in a way, a lot of the lyrical themes weren't common with southern artists that we spoke about in this episode necessarily. A bit on UGK, but... Um, this was more of a product by a specific person that really crafted this sound for this artist and um, again it's southern by definition but it doesn't fit in with the rest of these albums so you know pretty much that the next two albums are by one artist Number nine and ten. You have something to say. Players, we ain't the same. I'm into cane and guns. And then the beat drops. That's how their first album produced by completely by Pharrell. Starts. A product of Pharrell. A product of Pharrell. A real product of Pharrell is how what is what this group is. And to me, the first time. I hear Pusha T's voice. And since then, has blown me away. So Clips is Lord Willing. And Clips is Hell Hath No Fury. I love putting two albums by one artist on our lists. And you don't. And we discussed this in preparation for this list. I like it because when we do it, we never agree on which one's our favorite. Of the two. We don't need to get into why and what, but in talking of the albums, you'll find out that your favorite was Lord Willing and my favorite was Hell Hath No Fury. Not because I dislike the other and not because you dislike the other, but for a different reason. And these two definitely needed to be on our list. And Pharrell's production really stood out. It's his best production. Ever. It's also the only time you get more than just a hit from him. You get more of like a, not like a discography, but like more of like a, it's like he's telling you a story through his beats. And the back and forth between Pusha T and Malice. Mm -hmm. No Malice. No Malice now because he found God. But the back and forth 
they just flow so well and they're two brothers and sometimes i have no idea which one is my favorite they sound very familiar they sound very similar similar sorry and they paint a picture and once again it brings me like i'm in virginia it brings me like i'm selling drugs with my winter jacket on and my timberland boots wearing a babe shirt in the summertime you live in the suburbs like these guys are full-on drug talk every single song okay how they did it what the struggle was doing it just but they make it so fun because the beats pharrell's beats just make it so yeah i want to challenge you here poppy so fucking yeah. all over the accessible. place it's accessible it's easy you know to, they're easy albums to listen to at the same time you could be in a club listening to these songs especially on lord willing or you could be in your car with the windows down on either album i'm gonna challenge you go we had to rewind and bring this back to 2002 everything you just described to me is what you described trapping yes so who's the origin of trapping well, Clips didn't call their sound trap music. You don't have to call it anything. The way you described it to me, we rewinded from Jeezy and got trap. I agree with what you're saying because it's it's all it's the same. Actually, right? I shot myself in the foot because that wasn't Jeezy's first album. But hold on, I so yeah. Let's get back to your point. Mm. I get it. No, no, there's no were, point to be made. I was but, wrong. But people that. were selling drugs in 1985 and were rapping about it. But the trap thing is because of Jeezy coming out saying he makes trap music. Okay. It's just labeling it. Okay. Cancel that. Um, but it's a good point. Steve. But, but Push does call himself trap today. Yes. So he's kind of fallen under that umbrella of... The umbrella of the actual meaning of it. Okay. What about Lord Willing do you like? To me, Lord Willing is a great start to a career for these guys. And there is an unreleased album before. Yeah. Uh, exclusive, exclusive audio, audio footage, footage that I have on my computer. I think I've listened to it half of one. Because Lord Willing is so well done. And the beats that Pharrell makes, makes this album. I don't think it would have been as good as if they had another producer on it. Because Pharrell sound... Well, the Neptune. Let's, let's stop saying Pharrell. Let's call it the Neptunes. The Neptunes. It is the Neptunes. The Neptune sound made so many artists. Made clips what they are. Who the fuck gave it a 5 on 10? Spin Magazine. Go review Punk and Blink-182 and all those artists and stop doing rap albums because you have no idea what you're talking about. Going back to Lord Willing, when you come <laughs> out with gave, a... Uh, he'll have no fury in eight. They're still deaf. When you come out with an album this well produced this well done as your first album into the world known where people listen to it and really pay attention to it 
you gotta have you gotta do something better the next i remember that um let's talk about it was the theme song for the hip-hop show on the on on the music channel here in montreal which one i forget the name of it it was on music plus oh yeah I know. and that's the first time i heard clips with that kind of an anthem to me this album is just like I mean grinding like this is like this whole album like we said about Jeezy this whole album could play in a club it's all anthems yeah uh, it's all bangers it's all well put together because when you're making an album you need to the, the songs need to flow the songs need to be well produced and Pharrell And the Neptunes really made this what it is. So I think this album lacks flow. And on their next album, Hell Hath No Fury, they really crafted something as a unit. Um, not as... Well, uh, it's, it's still banging, but it's not as commercial as Lord William was. See, I, I, I find this one more... Uh, more not commercial but the hooks attract you in more than the lyrical content that they had on Lord Willing well the first album was successful That's so fucked. the so the so the, the the there had to be some kind of commercial appeal when this album was put out they weren't on the best of terms with the label and they and 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 the sound was kind of darkened I mean I don't find there's a song on this that stands out as it could have been. I mean, there are singles on it, but to me, this album is just flow into the next, into the next. It's a, it's to me, their most cohesive body of work. There's no track that stands out as can't be there or could have been the hit. What drives you into this album more than Lord Willink? Um, being completely honest, one of the things that drags me in is that it's shorter And probably only by 10 minutes, but in being shorter, I do find that um, the work that made it to this record was chosen wisely. I like that. Well, they were putting out like mixtapes in between. Mm -hmm. Of beats by everyone else. What I also like about uh, this album is that you're already starting to get malice changing into who he is today oh, religious family man and you get that exchange of you could identify who's who a bit more because on the first record like you said you like them equally as much and they're both giving you like the same back and forth of just like punching you in the face with but on this album there's a kind of There's a, um, it's almost as if there's an alter ego because they sound and rap so similar. You hear one version, you hear another version, and it's, it plays with you a bit. Their word flow on this album got better. Malice's word flow, Pusha T's word flow, the way they connect together, the way they bounce off each other. And like you mentioned, the alter ego between the two 
Pusha T is very pushy on the drug talk. Mm-hmm. So is Malice. But you could tell... She's pulling back. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he's definitely pulling back and still talking the drug talk, but differently than the way Pusha T is. Another thing I do love about this, once again, fully produced by the Neptunes, Pharrell gives himself the spotlight of being on some chorus work. The hooks. Have, yeah, the hooks. And having a, a verse every now and then. So you kind of get this... Um, I don't want to call it a third member, but you kind of feel like they're with their mentor. There's a presence that's above them that's just kind of supervising the whole thing as it's happening. I find that as a nice dynamic because a lot of producers, um, like when you would listen to a Manny Fresh who produces a whole album for uh, a Juvenile, or they're very much in the background. Pharrell being more of an innovator and more of a, hands-on kind of guy allows himself to step in and be present within your work a Pharrell beat is a Pharrell beat you notice it right away so having that kind of presence on top of it I find is really nice and they took the drug talk put together with the Neptunes's very happy bouncy instrumental at some times i have no idea what they're using as instruments mm. and it was put so well together as where the first one is very street oriented it's more for the streets where this one i find is more not clubby but more bouncy do you know what i mean like more like you could play i find you could play this album more in the club versus lord willing well, Lord Willing had its songs you could play in the club, but I find this one more. It's more jumpy. Um, no, I, I, I still stand on the side that the other one's more jumpy. We know which one's your favorite. We know which one's my favorite. Yeah, I know. I mean, we said that going in. Um, Hell Hath No Fury was... And, and you know what? Maybe it's also why it's my, it stayed as my favorite. This was my intro to push. There were no solo albums. There were no... Before Lord Willing? Yeah, For me, yeah. But this was where I started to... Um, and he wasn't even about to start releasing stuff. So when he became... When he, when he went solo and people got on board... It was just another case of like, okay, I'm, I'm like, it's great that because he kind of came back around uh, on uh, on my beautiful dark twisted fantasy when he did Runaway and he was on uh, so appalled. It put him right up like he was pretty much like in good music from there, and he got visibility and he was the guy on Runaway, but man, a lot of people that listen to hip hop don't do their homework at all. Pusha D became, and still is to this day, top 10 favorite MCs for me. I'm going to put it out there. Top 10 favorite MCs. And it's because of work on Hell Hat No Fury and how he stepped up his game lyrically, his punchlines. And he had something about him that was very slick as well. And the other word I'm looking for is... You knew it was Pusha T because of what he was talking about. 
and mm. because of what he was saying and how he put his words together. It's like he knew he was a top elite MC early in his career. And it showed, and that's what attracted me to him. And that's what it still attracts me to to this day to push a T. And that's why he's an elite MC. Yeah. Um, so clips wrap up the Southern list once again by definition, not because we necessarily feel they have the Southern sound or fit in with the other 10, eight albums. But nonetheless, like if, if by definition they are Southern, they are third in line to the influence that Outkast and then UGK had. And the changing of sound because of the Neptune sound. Because don't forget, the Neptunes are from Virginia as well. So they changed the Southern sound as well. So now let's ask those questions. Mm. You got to pick one. And it cannot be a Quemini. Do you want to think about it and ask me? Or are you ready? I'll let you go first. You're going to let me go first? Top album for me on this list is probably going to go to Juvenile 400 Degrees. And I not be that. I know it would be that. And not because of the way the album cover looks. New Orleans, Louisiana, grimy, many fresh beats, mm. replay value, mm. difference. When you when you guys like you say you listen to mumble rap, push back a bit, go do your homework a bit, because fucking juvenile and BG were mumbling way before a lot of people. Took me a while to understand what the fuck he was saying, but I love this album. Your turn. My favorite album of these ten is the Diary. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's phenomenal. I don't remember the last time I visited something that I don't visit often enough and thinking that I mean when you talk like today's rap the guys of the 2000s if you want to break it down by decade Scarface goes so unnoticed in the type of influence that he had a guy that was once again not afraid to show who he was influenced by because there is the similarities as we said in Chuck D and Ice Cube um, worked on a group that was underrated um Collects Gibson guitars. <laughs> I mean, this guy is the definition of favorite rapper's favorite rapper. So, we spoke about these 10 albums. There's so much more to the South, though. Let me just glorify the South as being a very underrated place for hip-hop. 
they weren't pointing the finger at the South. It took a couple of years, and I would say more in the 2000s when the South became more of... You know what's crazy if you look at it, and I'm sorry to cut you off, that while the West Coast and East Coast were beefing, which is something that everyone is so fixed upon, both the East Coast and West Coast took a step back to acknowledge the South. Despite that they're not getting along, these guys down there have some incredible stuff going on. And they only got noticed, more noticed, I would say, when they started really taking over the club scene mm. with anthems and like the young Jesus, the TIs. Sorry, I'm going to say Mims because he really, that song, he's from the South, that song really exploded. Mm. Lil Flip, all those guys from the South. Mm. But man, there's some incredible artists. 8-Ball MJG, 3-6 Mafia. Hey, we're talking Florida, Rick Ross. Rick Ross. Uh, Renzel. <laughs> uh, Ricky Ravioli. Rose Raw. <laughs> you got to go check out a bunch of these artists from the South. Mm. I think we'll wrap it up. Yeah, we didn't really announce what the next episode would be, but you're off to Cali Dro. So LAX. When, yeah. So when you get back, we pushed. This was supposed to be episode five, and we pushed it for this occasion. Um, I'm gonna go listen to some hip hop in Cali. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna kick off the second half of the season with West Coast uh, albums. A lot of them came out early. So you're not getting The Chronic, you're not getting Snoop Doggy Style, you're not getting those albums. But um, we put together 10 albums that aren't often spoken about first, like like as you dive into the West Coast, there may be some deeper albums in there, and there are some that we still uh, need to highlight because they're very important and, and great albums. So that's going to be the first episode for the for well the second half of the season, episode six, and then we're taking a turn on the uh, last four episodes, which we'll start presenting to you after the West Coast episode. But um, yeah, stay the uh, stick with us. We uh, we really appreciate the uh, support. And um, thank you once again, and special thanks to the bully for commenting on on on. For really pushing us to uh, everyone he he can. Special thanks to Sean for uh, helping us out and getting the accounts going and uh, all the behind the scenes stuff. Special thanks to Fanny for logo and design. Special thanks to the listeners. But fuck, the South really, really, really has taken over hip-hop and has influenced hip-hop to what the sound is today. Don't forget that. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.